The negative impacts caused by mental illness are increasing in our society and can be devastating and overwhelming. But fortunately, there are organizations like the Aurora Mental Health Center here in Colorado dedicated to providing long-term, short-term, and emergency therapy and treatment, all the while conducting clinical research to learn how to better serve clients of all ages. You'll hear from CEO Dr. Kelly Phillips-Henry how this amazing organization is helping people from all around the world deal with mental health issues and live life to the fullest on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and it is a thrill to introduce Dr. Kelly Phillips-Henry, CEO of the Aurora Mental Health Center. Dr. Phillips Henry is an experienced behavioral healthcare leader with 20 plus years of executive leadership in the Colorado Community Mental Health and Department of Defense Healthcare Systems. She is a two time CEO of large not for profit community mental health centers in Colorado. The Aurora Mental Health Center serves the third most ethnically diverse community in the nation. Think of that. And the organization was recently recognized as a top workplace in 2022 by the Denver Post. Dr. Phillips Henry spent 12 years active duty as a major in the U.S. Air Force, serving as a clinical psychologist, overseeing mental health, substance abuse clinics, wellness centers, and as an associate professor at the U.S. Air Force Academy, while also running the Cadet Counseling Center. Dr. Phillips Henry holds an MA and PSYD in clinical psychology and an MBA from the University of Colorado. Her passion remains the Rocky Mountains, where she spends her free time with her husband and four grown children. And to make us all feel like even bigger slackers, she is a lifelong marathoner and Ironman athlete. Doctor, welcome and thanks so much for being with me. Uh, thanks, Jay. It's so funny. I haven't I haven't read that biography in years. And so uh, it's always funny to go back to it and hear someone else read it. For well, <laughs> at good grief, it's so impressive. And, and that's one of the things that I, I love about these podcasts is, is to learn more about awesome people. And again, makes me feel like such a slacker. But to start off, how would you describe the mission of the Aurora Mental Health Center and the scope of services that you all provide? Yeah, you know, um, we have been a community mental health center for approaching 50 years in the state wow. of Colorado. 50. Uh, 50, yeah. And we are one of the youngest community mental health centers. Wow. Uh, the, the community mental health system is actually written into state statute to provide mental health care across every county in our great state of Colorado. And so um, we are one of the rare community mental health centers that does not represent a county. We actually uh -huh. represent one of the largest cities uh, right. in, in the state of Colorado. And so with that, as, as you read in my bio, uh, we have a heavy responsibility because our community reflects such an amazing diversity. Yeah. Uh, in terms of religions, race, ethnicity. Uh, and, and so we want to make sure that we're providing care that is culturally competent, yeah. um, that is aligned with the people we serve, that the languages are spoken in their primary language where possible. We're not providing interpreters. Uh, and so, you know, our mission is really to serve the vast behavioral health needs from cradle to grave wow. for our community in Aurora, um, Colorado. Uh, we have services that help support 
families with children from zero to three, um, whether that is the adoption um, to becoming a parent, wow. whether we're seeing early mental health concerns that we want to help that family address, um, all the way through the pipeline to providing services to our elderly community uh, in assisted living um, over the past couple of years through the pandemic, um, through telehealth platforms and everything in between. So what does that mean? When you represent a community, mm -hmm. uh, you actually provide care in person. So we have plenty of clinics right. across our region. Uh, but what we also do is we embed ourselves into where community lives and work. So we have staff members who work with our police departments, who work with our ambulance crews. We have staff that work in our county jail. We have staff that are embedded in our school districts, Cherry wow. Creek and Aurora. So we have over 70 clinicians embedded in our school districts. Uh, we have staff that go to people's home and help provide intensive behavioral health supports when they're unable to come to us. Wow. And we provide 24-7 services. And so we have a detoxification wow. unit for folks that are withdrawing from a substance, both alcohol as well as drugs. Uh, and we also provide a crisis stabilization unit, which is a unit for folks in a mental health crisis. And so some of our services are 24-7. Some are more of our traditional extended hours, Monday through Friday. Um, but we want to make sure that people can walk in any day to get help. Well, I think this is this is something I, I find kind of fascinating. I'm sure that you're a referral for all sorts of different agencies. But at the same time, you do have that walk-in availability for people. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, talking about the diversity of Aurora, that's got, has to present some, I'd love to, for you to talk about some of the special challenges to be able to handle such a broad base of different cultures and everything else. That's got to be a challenge from a, a staffing point and, and everything else. Yeah, we actually really see it as a huge opportunity to, to try to best align with our community. Um, you know, I think part of what Aurora Mental Health Center did, boy, eight to nine years ago now, is we acquired a smaller specialty clinic that was struggling financially year over year. And so as a part of Aurora Mental Health Center, Asian Pacific Development Center is one of our providers. Uh, and what started as their mission originally to serve the Asian Pacific community has really transformed over the decades to serving a much broader continuum right. wow. of individuals. Coupled with that, uh, we have some federal grants that we went after many years ago um, to really address the behavioral health needs of our refugee and immigrant communities. Yeah. Uh, and so with those grants coming in, we actually built a whole team to provide that care into the community. And, and a lot of what individuals need as they're coming and transitioning mm -hmm. to the United States, to Colorado is, you know, care coordination. Um, how do we navigate so many languages that right. um, healthcare providers and other support services in the community simply don't know? And so one of the, I think, real genius things that our leaders did is said, we have so many folks showing up from other countries that actually have all these degrees 
Right. But they can't put them to use in our country. But could they become a care coordinator for us? And so we have hired from those communities. Ah. Brilliant. To best represent the work and what is needed um, in those communities. And so we're very proud that our staff speak over 40 languages. 40. 40. It's it's really Four zero. Impressive. That's awesome. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's like, who would have thought we had that many languages being spoken here, right? You know, it's it is easy to see because it's it feels like Aurora is kind of the epic center for refugees and asylum and everything else. So I can understand that, but to be able to handle, it's a whole other thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. So our next step is how do we take the best of what Asian Pacific Development Center has done, the best of our programs specifically focused on immigrants and refugees, Mm -hmm. as well as some of the additional needs in the community for our Hispanic Latino communities, um, our our black and brown BIPOC communities to say, how do we create a center of excellence, a national center of excellence that we are providing all of what we know is the best evidence-based care to support the work that is so critically needed in our community. So that's the next big strategic step there. Wow, exciting. Yeah. So, you know, talking about providing those services, what are what are some impediments for people who could really benefit from the expertise and services that you offer that that stand in their way? I mean, is it is it is it still oh, I really I don't have a problem. I mean, is it some of that or is it awareness that you exist or what are what are some of those blocks? Yeah, I would say um, one of the biggest is is truly cultural differences. Right. And and when you're struggling, what is what is known in in each of our own cultures about how one gets help, right? Uh, You know, we know that in many cultures, people reach to the church. Uh, In many cultures, it remains very private and stays within the family. Uh, And so I think one of the ongoing pieces, and and again, part of why we wanted to make sure we hired from those communities Mm -hmm. is to help them begin to normalize in their own communities that asking for help is okay to do. Yeah. And can actually make situations better. Uh, and, and, you know, many times that's starting with things that actually have very little to do with behavioral health and more to do with community gatherings in terms of providing other needed supports and other needed things we can do to engage the community. So I would say that certainly it will always be an ongoing challenge. Um, I think transportation has been another one in years past uh, for individuals to get to help. I think while that is better through a lot of the telehealth that has come online, uh, and frankly, for for folks like um, our community that serves much of the safety net, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean through a smartphone. It actually means right. that the state has allowed us to bill for services merely by telephone services. So the good old-fashioned telephone. Uh, and so a lot of our clients have actually said, I don't want you to see me as we're talking, Interesting. but I, but I don't mind talking to you on the phone. So um, we're trying to bring down those barriers. Uh, and then, and most importantly, reach youth. Wow. The next generation. Yeah. Of how do, how do we help you bridge right. to learning what your resources are in this country? Yeah, exactly. And, 
you know, aside from all the cool therapy and treatment, I see, you know, talk about some of the other awesome program I'm seeing you doing with the community connections, um, you know, how to handle personal relationships, how to handle grief. What if you're going to become a new parent, all those things that can really be overwhelming. That's a whole nother facet to what you guys do. You know, it truly is. And and actually, we're seeing that change, which um, I think is just a function of the time and a function of the demand for mental health and addictions treatment in our country. Um, You know, I think we had some really interesting things collide over the past four to five years. And so, you know, even pre-pandemic, we were seeing a lot of celebrities, uh, including Prince Harry, come out and start to talk about their own mental health, start Mm -hmm. to talk about the fact that it's okay to ask for help. You know, Simone Biles, you know, so many folks talking about normalizing mental health struggles. And then you couple that with walking through a pandemic, right? Pandemic, I think when we all walked into it, we thought, oh, okay, a month later, everything will be back to normal, right? And, and, And our world learned truly what a pandemic is. And So, you know, here we went through, no kidding, uh, years of being socially isolated, struggling to many times make ends meet. Many people lost jobs. They lost family members. So talk about grief, right? And people thought, okay, I maybe do need to get some help. And so the outcome of that is we have seen now more than ever the demand for mental health and addictions treatment higher than it's ever been in my lifetime and probably. Yeah. Well, uh, and I, I certainly don't want to go down the pandemic rabbit hole, but in, in your opinion, I mean, how long or if ever will we truly understand the, the psychological impact that the pandemic had? Yeah, I, I think the further we pull away from it, right, the mm-hmm. more in hindsight, Uh, We'll have researchers continue to do longitudinal studies that will help us get a sense of what truly was the impact. But, you know, grief was real. Sickness was real. And, um, you know, we all had to learn how to manage some of that sadness, some of that stress. And, And for many individuals, that's been finally reaching out and asking for help. And so in some ways... Um, the goodness in that is we've seen many more companies come online that are treating mental health purely through a screen, like you and I are talking to each other today. Right. So I think in that back to what we do at our center, it's actually allowed us to pivot a bit because what we've seen is that many individuals that have a mild to moderate a condition of anxiety or depression Mm -hmm. are able to access some of these providers online and get their needs met without ever leaving the home. And we are thrilled that that is happening. I mean, the demand is far greater than the supply of people we have to deliver this care. Right. So what it has allowed us to do is we, we still have four outpatient centers for, for children and adolescents and adults and our senior population but 20 plus of our programs are actually focused on specialty mental health conditions and specialty addictions and treatment recovery. Wow. Uh, so we, we really are a specialty provider when many of those services that folks might be able to get online really aren't the full contingent of what someone needs. And so yeah. 
We do a lot of work with folks with very serious and persistent mental illness, schizophrenia, a lot of psychosis, a lot of work around serious trauma that people have experienced yeah. um, with children. You know, we, we have a very focused specialty program for what we call first break psychosis. When someone is going through their first psychotic break, that may be identified as the beginning of schizophrenia as adult. We know Evidence-wise, the faster you provide certain treatments and wraparounds to that individual and the family, the more successful someone can cope and integrate schizophrenia into their adult life. These these are not violent people. They're not dangerous people. And unfortunately, that's a stigma that persists. And so we do a lot of specialty work to try to make sure that people can successfully lead their lives in our community. That that's amazing, and you know, what, one thing I would love for you to talk about a little bit also is the research piece of what you guys do. On top of all this incredible treatment, the one thing you know, you're always getting better, looking for for how we can do things better. So you guys have a, a, a significant research piece. We do. We're, we're very proud of that. We've we've had um, this program um, a part of of our continuum of care uh, for many years. It's called Aurora Research Institute. They not only conduct research on all of our clinical programs, but they actually contract with providers across the state. In the nation, Um, we do a lot of research for our our national council, which is our national trade association. But in essence, we're we're constantly looking at um, efficacy of our treatments, what's working well, what's not working well. Uh, We recently, over the past year and a half, rolled out um, a platform technology-wise to collect all this data in a much quicker way called OWL Insights, which is out of the University of Washington. Wow. Uh, And it allows us to take all these outcome measures and integrate it into a much more of a holistic profile on a client with what we're seeing at intake, at six weeks, at 12 weeks, and then at periods past that of, are they getting better? And if we're not seeing that improvement, how do we engage with the client or with the client and their family to say, how do we tweak this treatment? Maybe we need to think about a different type of treatment. Are we using a psychological intervention and a pharmacological intervention Um, so that we're we're iterating to hopefully improve uh, one's condition? I mean, our... It, you know, for so many years, our, our tagline has been living life to the fullest. And, right. you know, the way we define that is that is going to look different for every individual right. who receives care from us. Yep. And we want them to define what living life to the fullest means. That's awesome. So it sounds like it's almost kind of this cool confluence of research data in real time, helping with with treatments. Correct. Wow, yeah. that's that's incredible. So yeah. you became CEO in 2018, and and the timing has to be fascinating because, you know, little did you know, right. 12 months down the down the road, the the world would explode. Did you even get a chance to kind of get your feet under you in such a big <laughs> position before the world changed? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you say that right now. We just wrapped up our first full three-year strategic planning cycle and talking a lot about that with our board of directors, which are all yeah. community citizens. And, and you know, I, I really attribute having a strong strategic plan to keeping us on track through the pandemic. Obviously, there were certain things we needed to pivot. We, we wanted a client portal right. in our EHR, electric electronic health record online by June. That was the one thing we really didn't hit because we needed to pivot our tech resources Mm -hmm. to getting everybody to a telehealth platform and then creating all the the consents and the client signature pads Mm -hmm. and getting all of that. And so, you know, I think the strategic plan helped. Yes, I I did have some period of time with my team to really try to get a lay of the land to say what's working well. And in essence, what was working well um, from our previous CEO, I I know him so well, Dr. Randy Stith, who was Mm -hmm. with us for 40 years, is the clinical programs. It's the pride and joy of our center. I think what I tried to bring to the party is that's working really well. How do I look at the back of the house, all those admin functions, kind of through my MBA lens to say, what do we need to get up to snuff to best be a provider of choice, an employer of choice, to get us to a point where we're really ready to get into innovation? So that was some of the heavy lift. And and I think remarkably, we were able to continue down that path even through the pandemic, although it was felt very different, right? Yeah, but that's, I think for anybody listening who's in the nonprofit world, we might put off doing those strategic plans. They really can pay off and they really they really can, can have a benefit. So yep. one thing I, w- I would love to talk to you about a little bit, you served in the military for a long time um, and I've, I'm sure you've dealt with your fair share of, of PTSD yeah. and it's, I'm learning more about it. It's a severe wound as anything you'll see physically that you just can't see it. And it's not confined just to the military. So talk a little bit more about what you're doing with the, with first responders and healthcare workers, because this is a real thing coming out of the pandemic for them. Absolutely. You know, um, so my, my passion when I finished all my, my clinical work and my doctorate work was, I never thought I'd go into the military and I'm, I am fifth generation military and yeah. it's interesting that I gravitated there with my brother that he, he flew, but you know, um, when I got in, you really are exposed firsthand to the amount of trauma you're seeing. Yeah. Um, and when my husband and I, who was also active duty, uh, decided it was time to transition, um, I wanted to keep that base of my work. That was a specialty of mine, treating trauma. In fact, one of the pieces I did at the Air Force Academy was run our sexual assault services. And so Mm. I worked with so many cadets and so many active duty members that struggled with trauma. I think what we've seen since and the work that our center continues to do today is trauma really has become a focus in our world of treating behavioral health and frankly, understanding partially addictions because so much of what starts an addiction is coping with pain 
and uh, not right, knowing right. other ways or getting other help to cope with something that has been largely traumatic. Mm-hmm. What we now know through a lot of the research that's being done nationally and internationally is really over 85% of individuals, when you ask them, what happened to you, will be able to share an extremely traumatic event from their childhood, their their early adulthood, or as an adult that has set in motion some other challenges that right. they continue to face. And all of us face and cope differently mm-hmm. uh, with struggles, right? And so, you know, this is work that we now go into with what we call a very trauma-informed lens of how do we try to see what someone is explaining to us, what someone is demonstrating through behaviors to us through what may have happened to them. And it's a very different way of understanding that versus saying what's wrong with you, right? you know? Right. Um, and, And so through that lens of understanding someone's story is partnering with them to then build a treatment plan of how do we walk through that pain together? How do we learn a set of coping skills together that can pull you out of what you are currently experiencing and set you on really a different path of recovery uh, with a different toolkit of how do I deal with these feelings, these Um, thoughts, these memories, these emotions? Do you find people are more willing to say, to recognize that they're dealing with this and say, you know, I really need some help getting through some of this. You know, you get think of big, tough Navy SEAL guy and what they see or are people more willing now to say, you know, I really could use a little help walking through some of this stuff that's happened to me. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting. I, I think that um, that's part of the work we're trying to do with our youth is help them understand that it's okay to say that it's okay to articulate it. Um, There are certainly professions where that stigma is greater, right? Uh, And it's not okay to say, I really need some help. Mm -hmm. Um, Physicians, um, clearly, as you just mentioned, special forces individuals, anyone who holds a weapon is, you know, police, um, SWAT teams, um, anyone involved in fire, ambulance. I, I mean, those are job responsibilities where historically saying you're not okay pulls you from a line of duty, regardless of those professions. So how do we change our operating procedures to truly understand when do you need to be pulled from the line of duty versus when can we actively treat you and you're not at risk from your primary duty? Uh, It's a very different way we have to start to see asking for help is no different than if you are a diabetic, right? Right. That's it. Um, so, so those I think are, are really important pieces. Uh, and sometimes individuals don't recognize they need help right. until there's been an event right. that has caused them to say, holy cow, I don't think I can get through this on mm. my own. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a real opportunity with us um, for our staff that work on our 27 unit you know, 24 seven units, when you come in in crisis, there has been a pivotal event usually that has caused that. And so how do we use that as an opportunity to engage someone in treatment? Same thing with someone is actively detoxing, whether that be from 
what continues to be the most abused substance, which is alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then right behind that, we have, you know, uh, prescription drugs that obviously, as we have seen over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years have really been a problem in our country. Yep. And then many times leads to other conditions, most frequently heroin, um, and then to to some of our other many drugs and Mm -hmm. how to use it as an opportunity to say, let's talk about why you're using. Yeah. And that's interesting. What can we help you with? Yeah. So this is not a fair question, but I'll ask anyways. Do you have any favorite success stories from your time at Aurora Mental Health Center? Oh, boy. You know, there's so many success stories that I, I think that that's that's a, such a great answer. So, um, you know, what I can tell you is some of my favorite stories I hear are from individuals that we have followed for years and years and years due to a severe and persistent mental illness, um, where historically due to past treatments, past medications that were not available at the time, really led many individuals to bounce in and out of state hospitals, inpatient units, very heavily medicated, not able to live a life. And so some of my favorite stories come from our our teams that treat uh, severe and persistent mental illness, where with some of the newer medications that are on the market, some of the newer treatments that we're using to treat schizophrenia, um, while wrapping day treatment services for individuals that have then structured days where they're out in the community. Many times they're working part-time and then they become our peer counselors. Those are my success stories. Is that they then have been able to get their own mental health condition in a place where they're doing good self-care, they're seeing their doctor, they're seeing their therapist, they're living life independently, and then they come back to work for us part-time and help other clients on that journey. Those are my favorite stories that's to engage totally cool. with our peers. Yeah. That's like the pay it forward thing. It right? is, oh, truly. totally cool. Yep. So what really continues to energize you in your work as CEO and, and for the future? You know, it's funny you say that. Uh, We spent the weekend with my oldest daughter and her husband and three kids. And my son-in-law said to me, and and, he's an F-16 fighter pilot, so very different world. He said, he said, are you dreading going back to work on Tuesday? I said, (laughs) oh, heck no. I have so many cool things going on that get me up and, and get me moving early in the morning. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of work in diversity uh, in terms of not only how do we train our staff, how do we make sure we're providing culturally competent services, but how do we bring many of those trainings into the community? Uh, And so that's one area that continues to really be at the top of our list. I would say another really big one, um, September is the focus on suicide prevention and suicide awareness. And so there's a lot of work we're trying to do this month really to increase people's knowledge that this more than ever is preventable and that most situations where someone is truly feeling actively suicidal, if we get them the help, the timely help they need can prevent 
a death from occurring, can prevent an attempt from happening. You know, Colorado is the seventh leading state in the nation for suicide completion. Um, it tends to be a trend in the Rocky Mountain region. Yeah. We have tried for decades to understand what is behind that. And it, there are so many factors that we can't tease out what causes no. that. But what we do know is we're a high risk state. We do know for teenagers in the state of Colorado, it is the number one cause of death. Oh, and so so heartbreaking it is and so how do we get out there how do we reach more kids we have a really strong partnership with our school districts i would say that for all the community mental health centers in the state of colorado and so asking kids to come to us is the wrong answer we need to go to them we need to be partnering with teachers partnering with school counselors partnering with the nurses uh, to uh, really identify kids early. And so that is a big focus for us, especially as kids are, are coming back to yeah. school this month. Yeah. And then awesome. I would say the last thing that's just a huge priority is uh, we are currently fundraising, right? We're not for profit. Yeah, not, not um, for and profit. We, are, we are halfway to our $31 million goal. Wow, so good creating, yes, of creating an acute care campus um, that really serves the safety net for our entire community. So our building for Aurora Mental Health Center will be pulling all of our 24-7 services together. Wow. Right now, they're a little bit all over the community. We put it smack dab in the middle so that law enforcement, our, our um, emergency response personnel, Families can do a quick drop off to us for detoxification wow. for mental health crisis. So um, we are well on our way. We've had really great donations from our cities, from our counties, um, from our federal government. Um, you know, our senators and congressmen have been really supportive. And our our last big ask is to the state this fall. And um, we're partnering with our housing authority. We'll be building permanent supported housing to get folks off wow. the street and out of homelessness and and hopefully with our federally qualified health center stride to provide the physical health and the dental health. So it's a super exciting initiative. Wow, this has been awesome. Learned so much about this. I, I mean, this sounds like it's almost a national model of what you guys are doing that people should be doing all over the country. So it is a national model and we're studying incredible. it from Southern California. Yep. That's, that's awesome. Well, what, what an asset for us. So I'll wrap this up and, and let you get back to your life. My last four questions, I call them the fab four. The first one is what's something you will listen to read or watch today? Oh, boy. Um, so today is Friday. So I follow a gentleman named Robert Glazer, and he does a Friday update called Friday Forward. He's a great thinker, and I look forward to his Friday email. So Friday Forward, Robert Glazer. I will have to look that up. Uh, next one is who has really been a role model for you in your career, in your life that inspires you to do what you do? Oh, wow. To say this without tears will be tough for me. Uh, my father. Um, so my father was a uh, Navy captain. He spent his life in service to our country. He was a phenomenal leader. And I found throughout my career, both in the military and as I have led in community mental health, I many times will step back and ask, what would my dad have done in this situation? That's awesome. And find that his calmness really helps me think through and not move into a decision with a knee jerk. 
Fantastic. So other than the Aurora Mental Health Center, is there an organization out there that that you'd love to give a shout out to or that you really admire the work they're doing? You know, I would say the Aurora Housing Authority uh, and the work that we're doing through Aurora at Home. Um, we, this is a really important initiative to try to get more people housed in our community. Um, homelessness is a national challenge. It certainly is in Aurora as well. Yeah. And I believe that the community partners that are coming together um, for Aurora at Home and Aurora Housing Authority, we're really trying to make a difference. And um, I'm just excited about some of the work that's headed our way. Yeah, the the, the home, the housing deal here is, is such a big complicated issue. It's great. People are on the front lines for that. So lastly, if anybody wants to learn more about the Aurora Mental Health Center or support or volunteer, or how can they find you? Yeah. So our website, um, you can Google Aurora Mental Health Center. We'll come right up. Um, we are in .org because uh, we are a not-for-profit. We have hundreds of volunteers and we also have hundreds of opportunities for internship at the undergraduate ah, level there you go. and at the graduate level and postdoctorate. And so uh, we're very proud that we produce one of the largest psychiatry residency programs in this region for uh, CU Medical, for Rocky Vista, for many of the master's level nurse practitioner programs. Um, so we, we do a lot of training. So yeah, wow. look us up. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. Doctor, I could not be more impressed by what you're doing. Oh, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for the time and, and good luck and keep up the great work. Yeah. You know, we, we love what we do. We love our mission and we, we would love to have more people join us and be a part of sharing our mission in the community. Thank you, Jay, for the work you're doing to really highlight so many amazing organizations. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about the Aurora Mental Health Center and how you can support and volunteer, visit aumhc.org. Check the show notes for that link. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd give us a thumbs up and leave a review. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.